Before we begin, we would like to recognize that this podcast is hosted from the traditional and unceded territory of the Algonquin Anishinaabe. We at CBIE are grateful to have the opportunity to learn, work, and live on this land. Welcome to Audio Alumni, a podcast that features both Canadian and international voices sharing their lived experiences of going abroad. These conversations offer insight into the opportunities, the challenges, and the transformational impact that an international experience can bring. In this season, we are talking about working and traveling overseas. You'll hear personal stories from our guests about what inspired their travels, what obstacles they had to overcome, and ultimately, how their time abroad shaped their lives today. This podcast is brought to you by the Canadian Bureau for International Education, or CBIE, in partnership with International Experience Canada. CBIE is a national nonprofit association dedicated to supporting the Canadian international education sector in its global engagement through advocacy, capacity building, and partnerships. International Experience Canada, or IEC, gives Canadian citizens aged 18 to 35 the opportunity to work and travel abroad. IEC provides youth with a path to a work permit or visa to work and explore one of the 30 countries and territories. Taking part in IEC allows youth to gain valuable international work experience while exploring the world and finding inspiration. My name is Emily Harrington, and I am so excited to be your host this season for Audio Alumni. I'm excited to introduce today's guest, Leticia Demonsing. Driven by a strong interest in social justice and diplomacy, she sought professional experiences in Brazil, France, Belgium, and Switzerland. Her first learning experience abroad was volunteering in Brazil. Then she spent two years working at the Canadian Embassy in Paris and later embarked on a seven-month journey across Asia. Today, we'll hear about her experiences abroad and how the time she spent outside of Canada has shaped her current endeavor in fashion and design. Leticia, it is so great to meet you. I've done some internet sleuthing, so I know your story is incredible. Everyone else now listening needs to know about your story. So let's start with a quick introduction. So my name is Leticia de Monsing. I am from Montreal, Quebec, and I lived abroad for about five years um, in Brazil, in France, and in Australia. From 20... Well, my big adventure started in 2014, and I got home in 2018-ish. Can you tell us what drove you to go abroad and live in so many places? First things first, my parents are immigrants, so they're from the island of Mauritius. So for me, like migration and migratory movements are normal. So I think I grew up normalizing that. Like I have family in Australia, in France, in England, in Belgium, in Switzerland, everywhere. So I've always been drawn to l'international, like um, abroad. And when I decided to choose my career, I decided that I wanted to become a diplomat. So a career, once again, abroad. And I studied international development studies and international relations at McGill. And during my program, I realized that it was necessary for me to gain international experience. So my first big experience abroad was in Brazil. I took a semester off from McGill and I decided to go to Rio for the World Cup because I played soccer my whole life and soccer is very much important to Mauritian people. So went to Brazil and at the same time I told myself I'm going to get a volunteering slash humanitarian experience. So I worked in marginalized communities, commonly known as favelas, and work 
in Brazil for six months, lived there. I was 21, which was pretty young, and my parents were kind of iffy about my decision. I think it all worked out, and they were really proud in the end, but it was a bit tough for them to accept that that's what I wanted to do. And then after that, I graduated McGill and the whole journey started. I decided to move to France because I told myself that I wanted, I got the um, humanitarian slash voluntary experience. And so now I wanted more of a professional experience. So I moved to Paris and I worked at the Canadian embassy. That was for, I lived there for two years. Then I traveled Asia for about seven months. And then I moved to Australia and worked at the Canadian consulate in Sydney for six months about. It feels like you've had such an incredible experience traveling to so many places in such a short window of time. Do you have a favorite country? I wouldn't say that I have a favorite country. I think I have a top five destination that I recommend, but I think that if I'm talking about the three countries that I lived in, so Brazil, France, and Australia, they're so different, I can't compare. I think each country taught me a lesson or many lessons. From each country, I've had such different experiences. Like what you live in Rio is definitely not what you live in Paris. And it's not the same that I experience in Sydney. So I wouldn't say that I have a favorite. I think they just all brought me something different. And this is what I was saying. It's it's so important to go live abroad because it makes you such a well-rounded individual. It gives you this confidence in life and in yourself that maybe you wouldn't have otherwise, or it's something that you get to learn by being abroad because you have to rely on yourself. You're a fish out of water. You have to figure things out. It's really not what you experienced before being home. So yeah, I would just say that every country brought me something different and taught me different experiences and and lessons. So I don't have a favorite. Could you give us a few more details about your experience with each country? Let's start with your experience in Brazil, because taking off, at, like you said, 21 to a country that is so far away from everything you know, growing up in Montreal, and then volunteering with a vulnerable population on top of that. Let's dive into what that experience was like. Oof, Brazil, 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 Brazil. I left at 21. So what happened is I was interested in taking a semester abroad. So I was looking at Scandinavian countries because I really like, given that I was studying international relations and international development studies, I really liked how their governments and their societies operate. I do think that in terms of like their policies, where they're placed on the spectrum of like being left or right, the way that they engage with their populations, to me, from what I see, obviously, from um, an external point of view, seem very interesting. So I wanted to learn more. I wanted to experience what it meant to live in Sweden or Denmark. And so when I looked at the possibilities offered by McGill, there was no city that was interesting to me, at least for my program. And I wanted to be in the capital, so either Copenhagen or Stockholm. And there was no uh, opportunities at that point for my program to live in these cities. So I kind of like took a step back and told myself, well, if it's not going to work through McGill, I can find a way to do it myself. So I took the semester off and... At 12 years old, I remember playing in a snowbank with my friends and I was like, the day that the World Cup is going to be in Brazil, I'm going to go. 
And so, because all of us, obviously, we're all kids of immigrants, and soccer is super important to us. So I was telling that to my friends. And then that year, it was 2014, it just so happened that the World Cup was in Rio that year. So I was like, you know what, I'm going to fulfill this childhood dream, and I'm going to go to Rio. I'm going to go to Brazil. So left to Brazil, just like that, without any plan. I did not have a plan. I do recommend to have plan and structure, but I'm just more go with the flow. So I left. I knew that I wanted to volunteer in marginalized communities, and I knew that I wanted to live there for at least four months. That's all I knew. So I left. Uh, I did the research. I'm very much a research gal. So I went on the computer. I looked at how at my age I could go live in Brazil. I think for Canadians, it was just a 90-day tourist visa. Given that I wasn't working and I was more volunteering, then I did not need a work visa. So got my visa, left in April 2014, I'd say. That was like exactly nine years ago. Wow. And so I left and I moved there and I had one friend that went to my high school that lived there that was also half Brazilian and met up with her and finally ended up living with her. And on my first day there, like my second day there, I land in Rio and I meet people in the hostel that was before I moved in with that friend. And I'm on the metro to go to a soccer game at Maracanã, which is one of the biggest soccer stadiums in the world, or world famous at least. And we start speaking English in the metro. And then two guys approach us and like, oh, you're, you speak English? Because I was with two Danish girls. And then we're talking. And then I'm like, oh, what are you doing here? And one of them is like, I'm, I'm volunteering. And I was like, wow, cool. Where are you volunteering? And he's like... Uh, in this favela up north, you want to join us? And I was like, yeah. So day two, found my volunteering opportunity. I think I just trusted and I went with it. I don't know if I recommend that to everybody. I think this is my archetype. This is a person that I am. But found that, found a place to live. And for me, it was so eye-opening at 21. There's so many things that I understood. Like I said, my parents are from the island of Mauritius. They're immigrants. I didn't grow up in like having a lot of money. So I think my parents were always made us aware of like the state of the world or like, you know, like don't waste food, you know, like some people don't have food. You have to be grateful for that. And so you hear it as a child and growing up and you don't really understand it. Right. And then when I started working in marginalized communities and I just saw things that just shook me so much and changed me and I just understood that I'm just lucky to be born in Canada and that my parents gave me like immigrated here to give me this opportunity and that some other kids don't necessarily have the chance to experience that so I'd say that's what Brazil brought me a lot of like compassion and understanding humanity and the luck that I have to have all these opportunities to be Canadian I think it just it shook me to the core for sure Oh my goodness. Okay. I feel like my jaw almost hit the floor hearing about how you found that volunteering opportunity. <laughs> it made my heart race a little. Day two. <laughs> you just met strangers on the Metro. I'm so happy that it worked out. As an outsider listening to that story, it sounds like it would be very stressful. 
But like I said, good for you for taking such a huge leap of faith and being able to trust your gut like that at 21. Going to this country where you only know one person and embarking on this crazy adventure. And again, to trust your gut to know that these people you met on the Metro were legitimate and led you to this amazing opportunity. Yeah. Well, I mean, also, that's the thing. They were young. They were like, it wasn't just anybody. They were young. They were also going through the soccer game. They were our age. They were foreigners. They were expats also. So there's like, as much as like they were Americans and I'm Canadian and the girls were Danish, you have this like common experience of being an outsider in another country. So it's maybe easier for you to bond. I don't know how far that bond can go. I mean, that also depends on like compatibility and like human connection. But I did realize that when you're an expat, it's easy to make friends with other expats because you have that common experience, right? I would say like definitely listen to your gut. If you feel like the other person is not trustworthy or you don't feel good or the person doesn't make you feel safe, then don't do it. But he became my friend. He's one of like my friends now. So I got a great relationship out of it and I got work experience and I made a friend that one day I'll go visit in the United States. So I don't know. It's win, win, win for me. Now, Leticia, was it equally easy to make new friends in each country that you lived in or was that just the initial experience? So it's funny that you say that because I think one thing that we don't often talk about being an expat and living abroad is mental health. And it's something that I've spoken about a lot as a youth ambassador for International Experience Canada during my talks, is that we move abroad and we just expect it somehow. We know it's going to be different, but we're maybe, given that you don't know how to measure your expectations, maybe when you get there, you could be disappointed or confused or feel a bit lost. So it's important to either manage your expectations before do the research, you know, watch YouTube videos, like things to know about living in Japan, things to know about living in France, the good and the bad. Like, I think for me, France was amazing because I got to work in the diplomatic field and I realized that I loved it so much. And that coming back to Canada, I decided to do my diplomatic exam. And so that confirmed that I really liked that career and that I was on the right path. However, France was really hard for me to make friends. I felt like Brazil was super easy. Australia was easy. But France was very interesting to me. So there's a spectrum. Okay, I'm not saying it's like that for all French people. But this is this is my personal experience. And obviously, I'm projecting that because you're asking me to talk about my experience. But there's a spectrum. And I felt like Canadians, we meet people and like we're super warm and and super open right away. And then you interact and there is this kindness right off the bat was what I noticed when French people, they're like on the opposite of the spectrum. It's like at first, especially in Paris, I'm not saying all of France. I lived in Paris. It's a big city, you know, like it's, it has the metropole effect. So I felt like the way that they make friends is that they have their guards up at first. And then you have to like maybe prove yourself. I don't know. And then once they open up and they warm up to you, then you're in. Whereas Canadians, it's like everybody's nice. Everybody's kind. It's like a known thing that Canadians are extra nice. And then after that, if 
I don't know, you do something that rubs them the wrong way, then the wall is going to be up. Whereas in France, I really struggled to make friends because I was super like outgoing and bubbly and forward. And people thought it was weird. People were like, oh, like, why is she so forward? And for me, it was like, oh, like, I'm just being kind. So I did really struggle with that. And I think that was the hard part for me. I felt very isolated. I felt like every day going into the embassy felt so good because every day I felt like I had social connection that I knew how to connect with people because I was working with Canadians. But then I would get out of work of that bubble of the embassy and I would go and like would experience life. And I was like, whoa, like I don't know how to connect with people. And I'm also super social. Um, I think we're all social beings, but I'm on the extroverted side for sure. So I found social connection really hard. I did find that my mental health could have been better if I had managed my expectations and I had done maybe a bit more research on, I don't know, social norms or their culture or how to connect with people there Um, because it's very different everywhere. Everybody has different social norms and I wish I knew that. But first of all, thank you for being so vulnerable and being able to launch us into that part of the conversation because it's been a very common theme with these interviews. And you're right. We don't talk about the mental health aspect of going abroad and living in other countries where their social etiquette is so different from what ours is. And being able to dive into a whole new environment where you're forced to, you know, make friends as if you're starting school again that we really don't give enough attention to that topic and how many challenges that brings into the experience. So I know we talked a little bit about doing some research on social etiquette and social norms, but if you could give yourself a piece of advice on how to manage those expectations, what would that advice be? I think I could give advice on like more of how to thrive a bit more being an expat. I did realize that having a routine that was similar to home or a a new routine that I created specifically to that country was good. So I'll give you examples. For me, it's important to go to the gym. It's important to stay active. That's always been part of my lifestyle. So in France, even though that's also another thing, like now it's starting, but I think when I went there before, there wasn't that many girls at the gym lifting weights. That's so you have to be aware of like, or even girls playing soccer, you know, it's like you have to do the research. You have to learn and figure out how you can integrate what you used to do at home that kept you happy. How can I integrate that to my new lifestyle or to the new country that I am? And also considering all the social etiquette and the norms, the cultural norms that are, you know, in the country. So for me, I kept a routine by going to the gym. I do wish that I FaceTime my family and my friends more. It's almost as if I was like, okay, well, I'm here. And I felt like I didn't reach out. That's also the thing. If you don't feel good, reach out. Like your friends at home and your family care. I think for me, it was more like I was maybe... I was stubborn. I'm very stubborn. And so I decided to be like, no, I moved. I made a choice. I got this when like, no, it's okay to ask for help. And that was one of my lessons also. Um, So find a way to connect. There's so many ways to connect. Like 
there's FaceTime now, there's Skype, there's Google Hangouts. So try to integrate that in your routine as much as possible. Do things that make you feel good. If you like to read a book in a park, go read a book in a park. In Australia, I organize like a brunch every Sunday because I like to brunch. And in Australia, they had that culture. In France, they didn't. In Brazil, I go to the beach every Sunday. That's something that we don't have in Montreal. And that's the type of thing that I integrated in my routine there. So find a way to create a routine that makes you happy. Do things that make you feel good. And when you don't feel good, ask for help. Reach out. Also, there's so many there's so many groups. I know on Facebook, there's like girls who love to travel. I also know that there's an app called Meetup. So that's a really cool app. Let's just say you want to learn the language. So you want to do like a language exchange session. So it's like you meet somebody in a coffee shop and then let's just say they want to learn French and you want to learn Brazilian Portuguese. So the way that the conversation works is that you speak Brazilian Portuguese and you practice and then the person answers you in French and then you correct each other and then you engage in a conversation that is two languages. So that's really cool as well. But yeah, just... Do things that make you feel good and ask for help if you need help. And also, that's one thing that I learned living abroad. It's one of my biggest lessons. Like, you can trust in the kindness of strangers. Obviously, trust your gut. If it does, if the person does not make you feel safe, go the other way. But if you met somebody that, you know, you can open up to and that person makes you feel safe, like, don't be scared to be vulnerable. Be like, hey, right now I'm feeling a bit lost. Like, Um, I feel like girls here don't really play soccer. Like I need help to find a league. Like, do you know of anybody? Can you ask your friends? Like, yeah, I'd say that. Thank you so much for sharing. And that leads me into an incredible question where you say, you know, you got so caught up trying to make this new life that you didn't check in and connect with family and friends back home as much as you would have liked to. So what was that part of the experience like, you know, having your friends and family see you off on all these adventures and then coming back and trying to reintegrate into your old life with these new experiences and basically being a new version of yourself. I have to say that for my parents, it was really hard. As I said, they're immigrants. So they were just, at first they were like, they understood and they were proud of the fact that I went into the diplomatic field. But I think Brazil was especially tough for them. They did not understand why I would want to go work in marginalized communities. They were like, we don't feel safe. We don't feel comfortable. You're a girl doing this alone. You're 21. It was very scary. But like I said, I'm stubborn. So I was like, no, I'm going and I'm going to go do this. And it's a World Cup. And you know, I love soccer. And it's I'm doing this. Like, you can't stop me. And I'm really happy I did because now my parents look back and they're like, wow. <laughs> you proved us wrong. So sometimes I'm not saying to not listen to other people because I think other people can have very good advice. But at the end of the day, it's your life. And if people around you are not supportive of your dreams to go live abroad, because some people will dissuade you. Unfortunately, that's how life is. People will tell you like, oh, I don't think you should do that. Oh, no, that's not a good idea. But at the end of the day, it's for you to know yourself and for you to know that, no, this is what I'm doing. This is going to encourage my personal growth this is going to change me this is going to give me values you know and like not just give me values that are important but like integrate these values because I experienced something so profound that it changed me so I'd say that coming back after five years 
I felt like I grew a lot. The girl that I was at 21 and the girl that came back, I was completely different. I was completely different. I had seen things, I'd experienced things. And also, it's something that we don't talk about, but it gives you so many soft skills, like connecting with anybody and everybody, any culture, you know, beyond language barriers, being able to communicate with somebody that's different from you that you're not, you know, used to in your surrounding and your environment. So I think that I think leadership also because you believe in yourself, you have the confidence by living abroad. <laughs> for me, anyways, you gain so much confidence in yourself and in life. Like, how can you not? Day two, I found my volunteering experience and I was like, I'm going, I'm doing this. And it happened. And then I found my apartment in six days. And so I'd say all the soft skills that you get coming back, that has no price because then you apply for jobs and it just opens up so many doors. You know, I came back, I was totally different and I got the job as a youth ambassador to be a public speaker to share about my experience. That's an amazing opportunity that came my way. Unfortunately, we had to stop because it was a pandemic. The pandemic hit. There was no more social gatherings. The main travel recommendation was not to travel. So we couldn't promote um, the program anymore. But definitely my dream job. So if you're thinking about going abroad and you're worried about coming back different, I think you'll just come back different better like stronger, more confident in yourself, more trusting in life. Yeah, just do it. That's way better than a Nike promotion for the just do it slogan. So let's talk about some of the things you've done since you've come back. You've done so many incredible things because like I said, I went down that rabbit hole, some of your socials, and you've built yourself this incredible brand and this business that really seems to have built on your experiences abroad. So what's that process been like, building a business that works with so many international collaborators? And how do you pull from your experience working in other countries? So it's super funny. I've always known that one of the requirements for my career was that there has to be related to something international. Like it has to give me opportunities to go abroad. So I decided to become a diplomat or take that path. And coming back, I think after four and a half years of being abroad, I was kind of, I was coming back 28, approaching my 30s. For me, I was like, okay, right now I'm in the chapter where I want to set roots. And setting roots meant not being on the road. And setting roots meant putting a pause on the whole diplomatic dream. It's not something that I've abandoned. Of course not. I just realized that for right here, right now, it's not my path, you know, like I have another detour to do before I get to that, maybe in my 40s, like once I have kids. And so I think it's a chapter for later on. And in the meantime, I was doing therapy. And because I recommend that to everybody, everybody should have therapy, therapy should be free. And so I was talking to my therapist and she's like, Leticia, what did you like as a child? And I was like, oh, I was the kid that was drawing all the time, all the time. I was drawing, drawing, drawing. I was super creative. I was doing fashion shows. I was doing little pièces de théâtre, like so many things. And my parents are always like, Leticia, like, come eat. It's supper time, you know? And I was like, okay, wait, let me finish my cookie. Like, I'm almost done. 
So I realized that as a child, I was super creative, super, super creative. And at some point, I kind of gave up on that creative part to make my immigrant parents happy, you know, and I decided to live life for them and not for me. And so it doesn't mean that, you know, the diplomatic dream was their dream. It was definitely mine because my options was to become a doctor or a lawyer. (laughs) But for me, I was like, no, these are like, I understand why you want me to become these things. But I like the diplomatic field because I like history. I like people. I like culture. I like politics. So this is me doing the successful job that you would like me to do. So I did it my way, but still to make them proud. And at 28 and 29, after living abroad and gaining that confidence in myself, to live life according to my own terms and not my parents' terms because you feel so bad that they sacrifice so much to come here. And you realize as a kid of an immigrant, hey, it's not my burden to carry through therapy. You realize, hey, I'm going to start living life for myself, even though that's what I did before by living abroad, even more for myself on my own terms. And so during the pandemic, I started Dodo Bazaar. I started curating like cool objects and getting creative. And I created this whole world on social media. And then um, it exploded. It exploded. Brands in the United States like Lisa Sesga reached out to collaborate. Influencers started collaborating and Dudu Bazaar exploded. And so at the same time, I lost my job as a youth ambassador because the pandemic hit. I got laid off during the pandemic. And then after that, there was just like this silence and I was like, okay, well, I guess I'm going to focus on Dudu Bazaar entirely. Started as a curation for vintage objects and slowly it turned into what I feel is the culminating point of all my life experiences is what I'm doing right now. Loving fashion growing up. I was obsessed with fashion. I was obsessed with magazines and dressing up and I just, I loved it so much, but I just didn't think, you know, growing up in the culture that we have that I could make a career out of it. I didn't think it was a possibility for me. It was like, oh, your drawings are nice, but like as a passion, you know, like as a hobby, it is not something that you make a living out of for anyways, the way that I grew up culturally. And so Dodo Bazaar is now atelier of um, circular fashion and circular design but also a platform of education on the benefits of the circular economy. And so now I'm taking that direction. And I was very much exposed to upcycling during my travels, but also I was exposed to global waste and what it meant. In Brazil, 21 years old, so nine years ago, One of the first favelas, when I said I met this guy on the metro and he said, oh, I'm working in favelas up north, it's called Jardim Gramachu. And if you look it up and you Google it, it doesn't exist anymore, but it was one of the world's biggest landfills. And so kids would play in that every day. People, that was their economy, you know, like digging waste to make a living. And you know where that waste comes from? The Western world. And so when I got there in 2014, it was gone already, but you could still feel the repercussions of that landfill being gone because it was part of their economy. But you could also understand that this landfill was never meant to be there. All this waste, all this global waste was never meant to be there. It's from the Western world, as if these countries are garbages. 
And then also other experiences that I had is, you know, going to Cuba, I realized like all these 1950s cars, you know, for us, maybe it's garbage, you ship it there for them, it's like gold, and they make them work and they work on them and they, and they repurpose them and they make them beautiful again, and they care for them, you know, so when you realize how much waste we have, especially now with like fast fashion, everything that's happening, but with fast fashion and and trends and social media, how much waste is created in the world. Like for me, it's not an option having been exposed to landfills and kids living in such dire conditions to do a job that doesn't benefit the planet or doesn't have a purpose for higher good. That's just not who I am. Like I said, 21 years old, going to Brazil changed my life. And I knew that whatever I did in life, it would be to create change, whether it's using my voice, whether it's now I started Dudu Bazaar, whatever I do, being an inspiration to other women of color that don't come from a high socioeconomic background, to believe in yourself that you could succeed. You don't come from that world. You're not privileged. You don't have all the tools. But if you believe in yourself and you work hard enough, you can be Oprah Winfrey. You know, you could be Michelle Obama. So all of this to say that yeah, the Dubazab is just the culminating point of all my life experiences. And let's just say in Thailand, I was eating a pad thai one day and I look up and there was a lampshade made out of a Kentucky fried chicken bucket. So the bucket was the lampshade and then they put, and I was like, wow, how creative. For us, like you're done eating your fried chicken and then you know, you just put it to recycling with the garbage, all depending how how oily it is. And then you move on. And for them, they made a lampshade out of it. So I think living abroad definitely influenced my my desire to explore upcycling and reducing waste and the circular economy. And I understand the benefit of it. There's so many rabbit holes we could be going down. But first of all, I want to touch on that pressure of having immigrant parents and the expectations they set for you and how all that played into your role. I mean, that could be a whole episode on its own because I don't think it's something we talk about nearly enough and how those pressures of, you know, living that Canadian dream really play into your choices. But they don't necessarily have to limit you. And another rabbit hole we can go down is just that whole topic of sustainability and moral consciousness or being more conscious of the lack of sustainability in our economy. Whatever I do for me is very important. Like I have values that are very strong. So representation, diversity, inclusion, sustainability. And I just move in the world with these intentions and values. And whether it's my personal life or my business, I'm not interested in making profit or money if it's not with intention. I'm not available for that energetically neither. So the way that I move in the world is the way that my life experiences have made me the woman that I am today. And that's just what I do. And I don't apologize for it. It's sometimes, you know, some people are like, oh, she doesn't want to. I got asked to collaborate with Pampers. I got asked to collaborate with this brand for like contraceptive pills. And I was like, no, I'm not doing that because contraception for me, I've been on it for so long, not knowing it in my 30s now ruined my health. You know, it gave me hormonal imbalance. It's just there's not enough. And also like, why isn't it available for men? So even though they offered me thousands of dollars, I was like, no, I'm not interested. Even though you're offering me a trip there, paid this just to be on national TV to talk about a contraceptive pill, I'm not available. I'm not interested in doing that. So 
yeah, I think I have values and I just don't budge on them. I'm flexible. I'm open-minded, of course. But if I am to put something out in the world, and for me, it has to serve, you know, greater good or, you know, well-being of others, I'm not going to budge on my values. That is so powerful, especially diving in, like talking about the contraceptive offer and bringing it back to the whole idea of representation and being an advocate for women and women of color who want to take these opportunities, but maybe don't have the confidence to not only take a large leap of faith the way that you have done a few times, but also the confidence to really understand what is core to them and how to stick to it. So being able to build that confidence and find that voice that speaks, you know, to support other women, what's your advice for another woman who might be struggling and wants to take some of these opportunities like you have? I'd say read. I read a lot and I read a lot of self-development. I read a lot of things that expand my mind. You know, I also realize that we live in a society that not our minds are controlled. Like I'm not that far down but more like whatever you decide in life is is but it is for you might not be for others you know so if you decide that your job is going to be work from home but also flexible to go live abroad and you want a mix of you know like I'm doing right now public speaking modeling having a business that's just the way that I decide my life is you know maybe some people are going to be like Oh, Leticia, like, I think you should stick to the nine to five. I think that's better. Hey, yeah, that's great for you, but that's not for me. You know, like I have all these talents. I'm a multidimensional woman and I want to explore all of that. And also that's the thing. I feel like, especially as women, and then to add the level as a woman of color, we're often told how to live our lives by society, by men, by people around us when like, my job is not to fulfill your needs and desires for me. You know, my job is to live my life for me. And if you're meant to be around, if you're meant to cheer on for me, if you're meant to support me, then you'll be around. And if you're not, then you need to go. So I'd say one thing that I really learned through therapy is boundaries. Boundaries really allowed me to speak my truth and remain in my truth and be like, hey, like, it's really cool that you want that for me, but that's not for me. And speak from a place of authenticity and know. And, you know, you might have the feeling of like guilt and shame and be like, oh my God, I told this person, you know, hey, I don't want to work on the contraceptive project, even though you're offering me thousands of dollars because it's not aligned with my values maybe you'll feel guilt maybe you'll feel shame but in the long term the more you say no and the more you set boundaries the stronger you become and the more you remain in your truth and the more you're able to be an inspiration to others because you're no longer living life for others you're living life for yourself and also take time to know yourself and how do you take time to know yourself i journal a lot i said i read a lot I like to expand my mind. I like to have meaningful conversations with people that I feel safe with and have, you know, open-mindedness or a lot of values that I think are important for human growth. Meditation. I meditate daily. That for me was a lifesaver. I think that taking time to just like zone in on me, 
you know, not the noise, canceling out the noise. Every There's going to be naysayers and people that don't agree with you and don't support you and don't think what you're doing is great or amazing. But these people don't matter. They don't. What matters is you, how you move in this world, what you think is. I don't want to use right or wrong and get into moral and ethics, but what you think feels good, you know, and what you want to put out there. So boundaries, connecting to yourself, reading, finding the tools. Also, that's the thing. Like I said, I did not, I don't come from a family that meditates. And I mean, my dad is an intellectual and he's a very, 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 very wise man. I'm lucky. Um, so I have a father that doesn't really care about what other people think. He's very grounded. He's very calm. He's very wise. He's a man of few words. So he could tell you two things. You know, you could ask him for advice. He'll give you two words and you just, you get it. You know, and he also lets you live your life freely, make your own mistakes. He doesn't control you. And then when you need to talk to him, he'll give you a few words where they're words of power. And you're like, okay, yeah, I've been on the wrong path. I'm not doing this right, you know? So surround yourself by people that are cheerleaders and that cheer you on. So many of us are not aware that we're environments or people around us that are draining us, that people that don't want to see us succeed, people that don't want to see us thrive. Find your core group of people that have aligned values and cheer you on and genuinely want to see you succeed. You know, find these people. And these people are also going to give you the confidence to show up, you know, fully yourself without having to apologize or making yourself small or dim your light. I really feel like we could go on for hours here. That's <laughs> incredible advice. And there's so many rabbit holes. I would love to dive down with you because there's so much power in being able to have these type of conversations and spark this initial dialogue. And I mean, I want to know those initial aspects that drove you to go abroad, why you chose the places you did, the experiences you gained from it, and the whole full circle of being a young woman who took all of this on and is now absolutely killing it with a fantastic business that's built on such a high moral ground. So I really want to say thank you so much for taking this time to share your story and be so vulnerable. You can absolutely hear the confidence in your voice. You can hear that inner peace and happiness that you have in what all these experiences have taught you. So that is really powerful. And I want to say a truly heartfelt thank you. Oh, thank you. My pleasure. Now, for anyone who may want to follow along with you and your business and these absolutely incredible journeys you go on, can you tell them where to find you online? Yes, so my circular business is called Dodo Bazaar. So D O D O space B A Z A A R. I have a website, dodobazaar.com, and it's the same thing on Instagram. It's at Dodo Bazaar. So yeah, and if you want to find my personal profile, you'll see it in the bio of Dodo Bazaar. And that ends this episode of Audio Alumni. We want to thank our listeners for joining us today. We also want to thank our guests for their openness in sharing their stories and our partner, International Experience Canada, for collaborating with us this season. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast for new episodes and visit us at cbie.ca for more content about international education in Canada. Until next time. <laughs>